Okay, so I'm you, here you with. Laptops here. Okay, so say your name. Pardon me. Say your name. Kelly Addy. Okay, um, so what made you become a pastor? Um, a lot of coincidences. <clears throat> I and I always my parents took my brother and me to Sunday school uh, every Sunday, and uh, it's kind of been my home away from home uh, when I've uh, when I've traveled and. Uh, then I was a lawyer and I was in politics and I was finishing that and I got involved in Bible study in a church uh, and it was a very rewarding experience. And then I got involved in the Walk to Emmaus, which is uh, a uh, four-day retreat uh, for people uh, where you just spend time thinking about Jesus and hear talks and, and share ideas with each other. And then the, the next year I was on a team, which was really pretty exciting for me. And the next year, they asked me to be on the board, and I, that was pretty exciting. And I went to my first board meeting, and they changed the board time. And I was a single parent and had my kids full-time then. So I was off the board. I said, well, how about team? And they said, we aren't letting people be on the team two years in a row anymore. So I was off the team. And I was all bummed out, and I finally prayed about it and said, you got to show me something if you want me to do this, fine, otherwise I'll just do that. And the next day I went to lunch, and the guy said, you know, I'm uh, the lay leader for the Lutheran Walk to Emmaus, and we just lost a team member, and I wonder if you would fill in for me. It was like the next day. And uh, I said, well, let me think about it and check, and but that sounds really good, and it worked. So he and I were talking, and he's being so nice to me, and he's patting me on the arm, and he's patting me on the shoulder, and I said, Mike, you're doing me the favor because this happened and that happened, and I prayed that the next day you were the answer to my prayer. And he said, really? He said, that the, 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 the day before I asked you, and I said, yeah. And he said, well, you know, the night before that, uh, I'd lost a team member, and I couldn't think of anybody. And I sat down in my living room, and I said, God, you got to show me something. And he said, when you walked through the door, I knew it was you. And it was just a huge coincidence. And I said, you know, I better start paying attention. I started the ministry inquiry process. And then in the middle of the year, well, it was in March, but that's the middle of the clergy year. Uh, a little church east of Billings, Huntley, uh, lost its pastor. And they were on the ropes as a congregation. And so the district superintendent called me up, the superintendent called me up and asked me to fill in and help out for a little while and uh, it took uh, I mean it was a very good experience for all of us and so I did uh, uh, licensing school and course of study and uh, that's I've been doing it ever since I was both uh, an attorney full-time and a pastor part-time for 14 years I was in, in the building so. that's awesome so. um how old were you in 1965s how old was I at 65? I'd have been uh, 16 by the election. Okay. How did you feel about the act? Uh, I thought it was something that needed to happen. Um, having grown up in Montana, I knew one African-American kid in my school. And I was just clueless as to what this was all about. 
but TV was coming out with national networks and they were showing these scenes in the south of buses being burned and people being beaten and fire hoses and all that. And I just thought, boy, that, that, that doesn't sound, that, that's not America. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was always pretty um, um, in favor of it. Um, so what is your opinion about it? Um, well, it's uh, now the Supreme Court has spoken recently and has limited the effect of the act. So there are um, efforts now to strengthen it again with legislative work. And it, you can't blame the court entirely because the Congress gets into a stalemate and they can't do anything. So the court finally has to decide a case. And they decided it one way or the other. Well, they decided it the other way as far as I was concerned. Uh, and so I think they're going to be um, efforts before the next election to, to close the loopholes. Um, did you see anyone who did not support it? Oh, yeah. Uh, when I lived in Alabama, uh, there were a lot of people that didn't. Uh, you'd be surprised, so it wasn't like all the white people were against it, and all the black people were for it. Uh, but uh, the people who benefited from it were a lot more for it than the people that didn't benefit from it. So, uh, and I, I took a picture at Vicksburg, uh, Civil War battlefield in 1977 and uh, brought it back to my office. I was in the army, I was an army lawyer working at the ABM command. We were figuring out how to make missiles more accurate. And uh, I was just doing legal work. But I, so I brought this picture back and it was a picture of a, a, a tombstone with a bunch of tombstones parking out from it, and it said unknown U.S. soldier on it, and I thought it would look pretty nice. Well, nobody liked that picture, and I finally took it put it in my desk drawer, and an older attorney in the office, who was kind of my mentor, came back and said, I understand you've been to Vicksburg. And I said, yeah. He said, uh, I understand you took a picture. I said, oh, yeah, I did. He said, I'd like to see the picture. I showed him the picture. He said, this is a mighty nice picture, but you ought not to show it to people around here. It's 1977 now. And I said, well, what is wrong with this picture, Bernie? He said, well, son, that boy was a Yankee. 110 years after the Civil War is over, it's not over. So the racial tensions, and that's the last thing that humanity has to figure out is how to get along with people that aren't like you. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of being forced into a globalization and with migration. And we're just starting to see the beginning of global migration, so it's going to be more and more important all the time that everybody feels like they're being treated fairly. Not that it comes out the way they want it to every time, but that they have a chance, that they have a, uh, a right uh, to have a say. And if, if there are a large block, if there's a large block of people that feel like they don't, uh, democracy is the same. You're seeing what's happening with the controversy over the outcome of the 2020 election. Uh, that's a that is a threat to democracy. If everybody doesn't agree that the deal was fair, then nobody's going to be happy with the outcome. There's a saying that I learned that came out of Butte when I was in the legislature in the 80s. They said if the fix is in on both sides, it's a fair deal. And if the fix is only in on one side, it's not a fair deal. And that's we got to make it fair and open. Mm-hmm.
people have to see that it's fair too. It's not just making it fair, mm -hmm. it has to be obviously fair. Yeah. Um, did you see anyone fighting to vote in person? Um, no, I haven't had kind of this on TV yet. Yeah, I've never seen anybody turn away or organizations or companies. Native Americans in Montana, I was state Democratic chair in 93 to 97. And Indian reservations in Montana were largely just about entirely Democratic. They have to know that you're listening to them and that you respect them. You don't just get their vote because of who they are. You have to do something for it, too. Yeah, what was the Voting Rights Act? Um, how did you feel about it? Um, well, it's absolutely necessary. And, and all it does is guarantee the right to vote, which I think is the 13th Amendment. And it mm -hmm. follows on the 64 Act that assures equality, but then they came back and said we have to do something with voting rights too. Um, and once again, if people don't, if everybody doesn't agree that it's fair, uh, nobody's going to be happy with the outcome, no matter what it is. Do you know personally if any race was affected? If so, can you tell us a little about it? If any race yes. was affected? Well, I went to course of study in Washington, D.C. for my uh, clergy training for my pastor's training and probably a fourth of the class uh, every year I was there was uh, uh, African-American. I've got a really good friend uh, who lives in Delaware is African-American mm -hmm. and uh, they feel real when when this gets threatened it's just one more thing they don't think they're getting a fair shake anyway and then you start uh, whittling away at this and they they get really pretty hostile. In fact, Wendell is my friend. This isn't voting, but we went out to eat at a restaurant off campus one night, and the guy was going to seat me. And so Wendell and I started going in, and the guy said, "This put his hand out to Wendell." I said, "He's with me." And so the guy said, oh, "Okay, this this is two th uh, you know, 2012. 2013, uh, and that's the first time I'd ever seen it. When we got to the table, you know, just said, "Oh man, even here, you know." And he said, "And I said, how often does that happen to you?" He said, well, "Several times a week. Doesn't happen every day, but it happens several times a week where oh. they just let you sit and wait for your seat mm. until you get tired and leave." When I was in the legislature, in fact, there was a guy from Browning named Bob Jarvis. He was a Blackfeet and uh, a state representative. And uh, I was the either assistant whip or uh, uh, speaker pro tem. And Angela Russell uh, Crow uh, sat right behind me on the floor. And she said, you got to talk to Bob. And so I went over and talked to Bob and he had gone down to Frontier Pies for lunch and they left him sitting there for 45 minutes. And uh, so we made a little bit of a fuss about it on the floor of the house, and there was never another. He's wearing his legislative ID, too, mm -hmm. which evidently the people didn't 
recognized. But uh, people are real sensitive about that too. If you start accusing them of discriminating on people, against people on the basis of race, uh, it's going to have a big input impact on their business, and they could actually have some um, legal uh, ramifications that gets too big, too bad, or too systematic. Uh, so, you know, was it nuts? That would have been uh, 89 or 87, 1989 or 1987, if that happened. I'm sure, I'm sure it happens today, too. You and I don't notice it, though. Yeah. Because we're, we're going to the seat while the guy's saying, no, no, mm -hmm. you have to stay out. Yeah. And it makes me mad. I mean, uh, Wendell is a good friend of mine, and I'm, 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 a, I'm a baby when it comes to understanding race relations because, frankly, I've been dealing with a whole bunch of white people mm -hmm. all my life. Um, so, except when I was in Korea. Of course, there were a lot of white people there, too, but the Koreans had us outnumbered by a long shot. Yeah. Wonderful people, but that's a whole different story. They, they were, it wasn't voting rights over there. It was, it was before democracy came to Korea. And you felt real safe on the street because if anybody got out of line, you just never saw them again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that is it. Thank you so much. Yeah.